I was enjoying that music. Hi, everyone, and yeah, welcome to the Bitcoin Collective's live stream, our first online live stream. So hopefully um, this is more, there's more to come after this and we don't have any uh, technical difficulties on our, on our first one. So I've built this to be a bit more like podcast-esque, but with the opportunity for the audience to ask questions and get involved as well. So we only have an hour, so I won't beat around the bush, but we'll have about 40 minutes of us talking and then 20 minutes of Q&A. But I will put in the comments section when you can start dropping in your questions and then we'll bring them up on the screen. So more energy isn't bad is what I've titled this event. Because a week ago, I read the paper Bitcoin and the Energy Transition from Risk to Opportunity, published by the Institute of Risk Management's Energy and Renew Renewable Group. So for those of you that don't know me and the Bitcoin Collective, we're all about making Bitcoin relatable and easy to understand. I'm not a big... Uh, physical book reader, I'm more of an audible guy, like I know a lot of people are, uh, but this sucked me in and I read it from cover to cover. It's relatable, digestible and collates so much in one document. I think a lot of people agree that it's hard to find a lot of these sources under one roof. So I pinged the two authors, Dylan and Alex, to say thanks and ask if we could do this. And here we are. So let's get into it. I will bring them up onto the stage if I can figure out how to. <laughs> there we go. Perfect. Well, thank you very much, both of you, for um, coming and agreeing agreeing to do this. It's uh, great to have you both. Good. Well, glad to be here. And, um... I must say, you, you probably can't see it because the quality of my webcam is not that great, but my ears are quite red with all the complimentary praise you've been giving our <laughs> documents. Yeah, thanks very much for having us. Uh, and I think a bit like what Dylan said, I think I'm, I'm quite pleased with what you said. That was our intention, was to make it interesting, was to make it less on the heavy theory and more on the actual case studies, the real use um, and uh, keep it interesting as well. I think I have to thank Dylan for the intro. His intro to the uh, document is just outstanding, um, sci-fi-esque. But uh, we're, we're yeah. going to get into that. <laughs> um, brilliant. So just to give the viewers a bit of background understanding, could you just give us a quick summary of who you are and what what you both do? Okay, I'll I'll start Alex. Um, I think firstly just to say um, Alex and I are both risk managers um, so uh, our professional body or, or the one that's sort of most internationally recognized is the Institute of Risk Management so I'm a, I'm a member of the Institute of Risk Management but for my day job I, I work in the um, oil and gas industry. I'm based in the Middle East. I'm, I'm a risk manager as I said um, but my role on the Energy and Renewable Special Interest Group, up until recently I was the, the group secretary, but I've, I've just been elected the deputy president of, sorry, is, do we call ourselves presidents? Deputy president? Chair. Chair. <laughs> Alex always teases me about 
delusions of grandeur. So yeah, I'm the deputy chair of the group. Um, and you know, we, we, we get together at least once a month. Um, we talk about energy, we talk about risk, we talk about, um, you know, where the two collide, we talk about technology, um, and, and, and yeah, that's a little bit about me, but I'll, I'll let Alex, uh, introduce himself. Yeah, so similar to Dylan, I, I've been in, uh, well, I've been in risk for 20 plus years um, and um, in the energy uh, sector for about, well, since 2007, I would say, uh, yeah, 2007, been in the energy sector, um, worked in um, Saudi Arabia, Iraq, um, uh, Dubai, Malaysia, which was great. Um, but yeah, it's, it's always been about energy, uh, whether it's oil and gas or renewables. Um, and um, when we put, uh, I'm, I'm also on the uh, Institute of Risk Management Energy and Renewables group. Uh, I was the founder, I think we set it up about six, seven years ago. Um, and I was the chair up until recently when uh, I, I stepped down. Um, but Dylan and I worked on this uh, uh, document uh, because the group and the IRM, the Institute of Risk Management in general, tends to work on thought leadership, puts out sort of, um, I would say, cutting edge aspects of risk management, but also of industry. We try to look at it from a risk and opportunity perspective because risk and opportunity go hand in hand. Um, and so that's really what brought us to this publication because, again, we the only publications we've ever seen are either extremely negative uh, in terms of uh, Bitcoin and energy usage, or um, it, there's there's not really, it's either theory or you know there's there's not any real um, substance to it. Additionally, the Institute of Risk Management is a not-for-profit organization, so it's not as if they are sponsored by someone. It's not like a you know a Bitcoin magazine that is trying to promote Bitcoin. They are literally a, a not-for-profit that has over eight thousand members, all risk professionals globally. Um, they've been um, around for thirty years. And one of the aspects as well I quite like is they, they, they contribute to things like the World Economic Forum um, Annual Risk Report, which is a, a publication that they put out and show all the trends, all the upcoming uh, risks. And as we know, uh, World Economic Forum have had some things to say about Bitcoin, and yet we've come in and sort of taken an opposite view. So it really shows the fact that the Institute of Risk Management is quite objective in this and doesn't have any sort of side so that's what I like about the fact that we've been able to publish, publish this with an organization that isn't taking a side. We're just trying to look at the case in an objective manner. And uh, I think we, we achieved that. I think just to add to that, Jordan, you know, we've had Bitcoin on our radar for quite some time. I think going back two or three years now, when, whenever we sort of each year, the Institute of Risk Management gives a kind of perspective on what we see as risks that may manifest or opportunities that may manifest over the coming year. Um, and we've always, you know, going back two or three years, had a, had a kind of view on Bitcoin and energy and, and the relationship. And, you know, so if you look at the, these reports, they're publicly available, you will see um, that th there was a little bit of commentary there. And and I think that, that little thread, we, we just started tugging on a little bit more and, you know, and a lot more came out the more we investigated and we just felt, you know, this, there's a story to tell you that I think, um, you know, not, not many people are aware of. Um, in fact, you know, the views, as Alex had, in, had just said, the views out there is, 
largely negative, and we we just felt that you know um, let, let, let's 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 give the full picture here. Yeah, that's yeah, this, uh... this started actually. This started as a an article that was supposed to be one thousand five hundred words, and it's ended up forty five pages. <laughs> sort of grew arms and legs and we started losing control of, of what we were doing and we thought oh well let's just make it a bigger thing than it is <laughs> it's always nice when that happens i'm currently i published a article on our website saying uh, bitcoin has a marketing problem um and i just relate it to um crossing the chasm um and that's kind of now growing arms and legs as well and i think you might see a big uh big 45 pager coming out soon <laughs> uh but you you said it it grows arms and legs as you're going through it but was there anything and i see someone's actually already commented something along these lines anyway um so was there anything any findings in particular that surprised you or challenged your initial uh, perceptions about bitcoin mining as you went through and dug deeper <laughs> I'll let you go first, Alex. Yeah, to be honest, it was the exciting uh, uh, potential. I was always familiar with uh, solar, wind power. I'd even seen the, the dams, uh, examples of dams. But when I started looking at the geothermal, now I've been to Iceland um, a couple of times and I, I love, love the place. And it was always, always, I was always impressed by the, you know, the geothermal uh, power plants and so forth. And, I've been to the the Blue Lagoon that's just heated baths of natural water, the outdoor swimming pools. And here we are looking at potential for Bitcoin mining in this incredible place. Anyone that likes Game of Thrones or anything like that, that's the place to go to and visit. But um, it was things like geothermal. It was things like, um, you know, finding all this new tech, old technology, but that we can potentially uh, reinvent uh, in the oceans that then also adds the potential to do some uh, deep sea mining in areas where there aren't too many fish, uh, because one of the problems with deep sea mining is the damage it can do. Well, in the locations that we currently can't access, but we could with certain technologies, um, that Bitcoin could potentially enable, all of a sudden that becomes possible. Um, and that can help solve some of the problems we have with uh, you know mining lithium, for example, and the, and the ethical side of things. So, for me, it was really the excitement of seeing all these different potential renewable energies that could be driven by um, Bitcoin mining. Yeah, for me, um, I've, I've, my, throughout my career, I've always been an oil and gas guy. Um, so, you know, my, my experience with energy is really around consumption of fossil fuels, processing of fossil fuels. Um, so, you know, taking a kind of more holistic view, um, looking at different types of renewable energies, nuclear, uh, it was a, you know, almost every section of the paper, I learned something by doing the research. So, so that was, you know, that was definitely um, eye-opening for me. Um, I think also just a deeper appreciation of just how complex grids are to run and and they are getting more complex because of the way um you know particularly in western nations the way we're moving away from these large um coal-fired power stations to kind of more distributed 
uh, wind and solar energy systems, right? And and um, the amount of management that it takes to keep a grid stable, um, I, I would say I never had that appreciation before. And going through this research and seeing that all that Bitcoin plays in grid stability management was a real eye-opener for me. I still go back to that. The, the, it's, I think it's opportunity one in our paper. I still go back to it and reread it. I must have read it about four, five, ten times, you know, um, just just to help me <laughs> let let that penny drop and let let the let the concept sink in. So that that for me was the biggest one. Nice. It's um, yeah. I feel like grid after reading it, grid um, grids are something that I'm gonna look into more and grid connections because. I have referenced it in the past before with Scotland because you you see in the news quite a lot that um, wind farms are waiting 10 years to get their national grid connection or being told to wait 10 years. Um, but I don't know the intricacies behind the scenes of what's going on there. And obviously everything that's happening at Epcot as well, um, as you're referencing, then it's very, it's very interesting when you actually dive into it of how they have to balance it all. Yeah, if you got a, if any of the listeners are sort of kind of interested in that, I'd say opportunity one, the grid stability mechanisms, it's, it's a good good one to read, and then immediately after that, the, the bit on wind and solar because we, they, they kind of they kind of linked. And I think the other, just a, a little bit, a little bit of an addition to that is, you know, we just take for granted that all energy is the same, right? I think, well, I certainly did, um, but it's not, right? Um, energy is only useful if it's generated and can be consumed, right? And there's a difference between where energy is generated and where it's consumed, right? And so, so just again, appreciating that um, was was a, was a big eye opener for me. Perfect. And uh, we're we're going to come back to uh, what Alex referenced at the start with you open up with something that i had never heard of before <laughs> and it's it's i've been thinking about it ever since um, no. you've honestly hooked me with it um so the correct me if i'm saying this wrong the kardashev scale That's um, fine. can you quickly explain this and, and why you chose okay. to open with this <laughs> it's uh, and I, I don't exactly remember where I got that from. I, I love science fiction, I always have. Um, so things like Dune and, you know, books like Hyperion. Um, I, I just, I've, I've always had that in my back, you know, that, that was always been an interest for me. But the thing about the Kardashev scale, it was proposed by a Russian astrophysicist, I think in the 60s. Um, and essentially it's a, it's a very simple um, hypothesis, right? Or a very simple theory, and that is, you can judge how advanced a civilization is by measuring the amount of energy that it consumes, right? And he, he classifies it in, in, into different types. And a type one civilization is a civilization that is able to consume all the energy that strikes the planet from its host star, right? And, and that's something that you can directly measure. So we have the sun, the sun generates a certain amount of energy and that there's that, that amount of energy then strikes our planet. Now, it doesn't mean that you just consume the energy from the, from the sun. You can use all types of sources, but the net consumption gets you to a type one civilization if you can equate your consumption to that, the amount of energy that strikes the planet, right? 
So, so, um, so that's one level of, of advancement. And then you get to a type two civilization when you can consume all the energy generated by the sun, right? And now you start to get into the realms of real science fiction where uh, there are things uh, called Dyson spheres where you build these superstructures around the sun. You can think of it like a giant solar panel that, that, will, that will cover the whole sun to, to capture all the energy that that, that that sun generates, right? And then you type three, it just gets completely fantastical where you generate the, the uh, you, know, you consume all the, the, the same amount of energy that the, the galaxy is, is, is able to generate. Now, I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a theoretical construct. I think they measured where we are in, um, in Earth at the moment, and I think we're sort of 0.6 or 0.5, right? So we, we haven't even reached um, Kardashev type one. But why, why I use that as an introduction is because there is this narrative in, me, in the media at the moment, right, that consumption of energy is bad, that we shouldn't consume energy. Energy, energy consumption is, you know, it's polluting and um, it, it's, it's really just got a negative connotation to it. Whereas the truth is, right, the more energy cons we consume, it, it, it's actually a reflection of how advanced we are as a civilization. We use energy to drive our machines, right? These machines mean that we don't have to slave out in the fields, um, perhaps like our forefathers used to do when we were in agrarian culture, right? We have machines to now um, do a lot of the labor for us, right? So everything within our economy from telecommunications to agriculture, to manufacturing, to transportation, communications, it all runs on energy, right? And the more energy that we can produce, the better off the world is, right? It's, it's, it, to me, it's a, is that there's a direct link between how civilized we become and the amount of energy that we produce and consume. So I thought that was, to me, that was the best way to start this discussion. It definitely was. And I, I think that's where I got the title from. I must have read that and just subconsciously being like, because that is the narrative, as you say, like energy is seen as a bad thing or using energy is seen as a bad thing. Um, so moving on to an, another part of the uh, paper was one of the major sticking points uh, for bitcoin has been in the whole space in general has been the environmental narrative because of its energy consumption and its association with carbon um footprint or its carbon footprint so bitcoin mining has i would say generally been risk on for energy producers and companies do you think this is the case and why do you think they just haven't dived deep enough in or am i completely am i completely wrong on that okay just uh, add uh, something here I, I think uh it's it's still early days i think some some have piloted some are testing it but i think it's difficult to start sort of uh, using a technology when we don't know or it, it's not understood that this is here to stay. It's not understood that this is actually a real thing because never mind the negative negativity of uh, climate that Bitcoin uh, gets. It's also, oh, well, it's for crooks and it's for, uh, you know, uh, doing things we shouldn't be doing and it's... Uh, yeah, it's it's the narrative, I think, that it doesn't necessarily put people off because everyone's always looking to save money or, or do whatever. I think it's just a case of they don't 
they might not know that it's here to stay. They might not realize how significant it is. Um, they might not realize that it's, um, or they might just be waiting until it is, you know, uh, a standard, for example, and then they'll feel comfortable investing in such a, a technology. And I think, you know, just to follow on from that, and I think that's why we, we heavily um, relied on case studies, right? Because we, we didn't want this to just be a um, conceptual view around Bitcoin, the asset, right? We wanted to say, look, there are people and companies out there today across the energy sector that are using proof of work to benefit themselves. But, and that's the incentive, right? They get to mine Bitcoin with cheap energy, but look at what it does. It consumes waste energy. It makes sure that um, energy that otherwise would have been untapped or standard now actually gets used and it allows, um, you know, development in that area. And so, so we, we, we wanted to illustrate that through examples, not just through conjecture. Or, or you know hypothesis makes it um as i said at the start it makes it a lot more relatable that people can um they already understand one thing and if you're relating it to that or an industry that maybe they know um or are aware of then it just makes it a lot easier to digest um for them and actually sticking on stranded energy so in um are we calling it is it a paper is that what the uh, i never know what to call it um, I, I just call it a publication i don't know okay. it's publication um so the you identify seven uh different opportunities and we're going to stick with the wind and solar because as i said like that's what people understand the most i think out of all of them um or it's the more general generally aware of um and one problem that they have um is their it's intermittencies at the source so i've been talking with energy providers in scotland who have solar and wind farm but obviously i know we've referenced this before alex but there's, there's not many days in scotland that um you you have sun so they have a problem of they've got a wind farm that they've got stranded energy for seven months um no they've got uh yeah stranded energy for seven months of the year and then the rest of the year they're using that energy because there's not as much sunlight but how's bitcoin mining um changing this the economics of uh, wind and solar I'll jump in Alex and then I mean of course you can you can also add to it so I think you I mean you hit the nail on the head right um, wind and solar once the infrastructure is this is the good thing about it right there and when you live in the world of risk you talk about costs and benefits right trade-offs right that's that's what risk management is all about it's it's, it's about making trade-offs so so the big benefits with, with wind and solar is once you get past the upfront capital cost, um, the marginal cost of production, um, you know, virtually falls to zero. I mean, there's obviously ongoing maintenance costs and these facilities have a lifetime, uh, a finite lifetime. Um, but, you know, once, they, once they're built and they're up and running, they essentially produce free energy. The downside is that with solar, 
only works when the sun shines and with with wind it only works when the wind blows so you you you, you your your predictability around generation is very uncertain right it depends on the weather essentially so why is that a problem well because you have consumption on the one hand and that varies over time and you know if you can control the production then that gives you a certain amount of, of control but but when both sides of the equation are, are imbalanced you get to such scenarios where um, you produce more energy than is being consumed and whatever you producing excess gets wasted if you don't find something to use it for and the flip side of that is you, at times there aren't there isn't enough energy being produced for um the demand that is out there so what that translates to is an inc a significant increase in the price of energy to to kind of you know lower the demand so what bitcoin does is two things um instead of losing that standard energy through mechanisms they call it curtailment right where you you curtail the amount of energy produced instead of wasting that and that that results in a net loss to the the owner of the infrastructure the person responsible for generating the power right so instead of losing that that can be consumed through bitcoin mining on the other hand assuming you've overbuilt your your grid um and um for most of the year you're able to supply the demand but there are periods of time where the wind sort of drops off a little bit you can get your bitcoin miners to shut down right they take they they uh, it's called demand response right so they, they act as a demand responder where um, they won't uh, consume the energy so it controls the price and it allows it allows your domestic consumers to um, you know to, to not experience price hikes or even shortages of energy and and the ERCOT, uh, the Texas grid operator ERCOT you referenced earlier on so they, they, they've got a very um, well-defined uh, demand response mechanism where they actually pay Bitcoin miners to shut off. So it's a service that the Bitcoin miners pr provide to the grid, right? Um, to keep prices and, and, and um, you know, the flow of, of, of energy stable. Yeah, and to add to that, it means that, because obviously one way around this is batteries, which are extremely costly. And then you've got the whole ESG perspective of, you know, if we're getting batteries, we've got the whole lithium thing, we've got the whole mining, the real mining, uh, uh, physical mining uh, in, in countries that maybe don't have great records uh, of, uh, you know, um, uh, ethics and so forth. Um, so that negates that. You don't need the batteries if you're able to recover the, the, the costs through Bitcoin. If you're able to mine Bitcoin at nighttime when your wind wind power is going but you have no one to to uh to send it to nowhere to send it to so uh, and even for example in some countries where they're using trains to get rid of excess energy because you can't just get rid of the energy safely sometimes if there's too much so what they do is they'll get a ghost train they'll pay to take a ghost train up and down ghost train i.e no passengers up and down the, the rail track just to spend the energy to get rid of that energy safely um that's expensive. Isn't it better to Bitcoin mine, for example? So. I love that. Um, I, I just love that example because I'd never heard that before. And it's not, it's not widely used that where this excess energy is going. And when people can 
um, put it to that of like a train getting operated, that just makes it, it brings it more into reality and people can actually um, process it a lot better. So, so you can see by, by having Bitcoin miners be part of these types of energy developments, it makes it the payback to those who invest in these types of infrastructure projects, it makes it more attractive to them. So what we imagine if you kind of project it forward is that we can then build renewable energy power plants at a much faster rate if projects that would have otherwise been marginal in terms of payback now become profitable, right? So, so that's the, that's, for me, that's one of the exciting um, parts of what Bitcoin mining can offer the energy industry, right? It's, it's your projects become more profitable. You can build out faster, more energy to people at cheaper prices. Do you think um, this is just something I, I've been thinking of as you guys have been speaking is, so I've been looking at educating um, specifically in Scotland and the UK um, energy providers on what, what is Bitcoin and it's, it's a tough gig. It, it's tough to teach them this and why they should um, be, be looking at it. And one of the pushbacks was the, the fear of losing um, their grid connection uh, because they have to report whenever they um, change anything, um, if it's just like a transformer or whatever it is. Do you think the with that, do you think the best way um, to educate is going straight to straight to the grid, like ERCOT are doing? Um, yeah, I'm just interested to hear your thoughts on that as as from my perspective when I'm approaching. I'm I'm I mean I'm unfortunately I'm not a um, I don't work in the UK energy market. We do have a member of our team. Um, that's sort of very tapped in and, you know, she'd be able to probably give you a, a very quick answer. But what I will say is that um, I think it's called ESSO, the um, electricity service operator, which is, I think, is essentially the authority that manages the grid in, in the UK. They have noted that um, grid stability is becoming more and more of a problem, particularly because of these old coal-fired power stations being shut down and distributed wind and, and solar systems becoming more prominent. So they've, they've in the annual reports, if you if you read, they, they actually recognize this as a problem. So it, I think if you could go to them, at, you know, with with a potential solution to their problem, you may find that they are amenable to it. But I, I mean, beyond that, I, I don't think I can offer you anything else. Alex, I don't know if there's anything you, you may want to add. Yeah, it was just something I was thinking of if that was the best approach. Um, yeah, so I think I think you know when you're when you're trying to enter a new market, shall we say, or trying to educate a new market, I think uh, there's so much unknown that I think you you just need to look at start starting at what's their problem, what we do with risk management, what what is the risks that they face, and how this can be a potential solution for them. And you start with that and then work your way back. I think uh, if you can capture the attention, then they're more interested to understand why or what this is. 
rather than starting with, oh yeah, well, Bitcoin is this, that, and the next thing. Then we have Bitcoin mining and there's the halfing and, and then there's this. And then, and by the way, eventually it can solve this. Start the other way around. And I think they'll they'll probably switch on a lot more because any any of the sort of boards or CEOs or anything like that, as risk managers, this is a, our experience as risk managers. When you come to them, because we're all about bringing problems to the table. When you bring problems to the table, the CEO switches off. What you need to do is come with the solutions. This is how we can do something. This is how we can enable. This is how we can grow. This is how we can take advantage of. And that's when they sit up and listen. Then they're interested. So I think I think uh, uh, that's probably the best solution. Yeah, that's... Um... That's great that you're saying that and very interesting because actually funnily the article that I referenced at the start that I wrote, Bitcoin has a marketing problem, is all about that. I'm seeing people take the wrong approach um, when they're uh, talking about Bitcoin in whatever sector it is and they're just coming in with the problem. And yeah, that, that's what I wrote about in that article. But I think, I think, you know, Jordan, the work that you're trying to do and what you've shared with us, I think, is also very important. You know, um, I mean, I, I see one of the questions were, you know, have we been, were we orange pulled before we, we wrote the article? I'll say I, 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 I became a Bitcoiner before I wrote the article, right? And I've been on Bitcoin podcasts, listening to lots of Bitcoin podcasts and getting very getting trying to get my head around what what this, this this technology is all about and i think sometimes we suffer from um you know getting into jargon and technicalities too much and you know when you have that that first conversation with uh, someone who's not close to it it can be very off-putting so making it relatable speaking to people in you know a language that they understand um, will go a long way to to helping that along and I think just to add to that, since since Dylan raised the, the, the point about the question, um, I was interested in Bitcoin uh, prior to the uh, publication. I knew of the potential uh, it had. Uh, after doing, I actually did a, a video uh, and, a, and a podcast with a, a person who's, who created a stable coin. He's also a quantitative risk uh, manager. And he uh, he was talking a lot about this. So I already knew about it. I was interested in it. Um, having done the publication, I'm, I'm more excited about it. But um, I'm, I'm very much um, on, on the fence kind of person. I always try to look at both sides. And I can see, going back to one of the previous discussions we just had, I can see why people wouldn't adopt it at this stage. Because most people aren't a sailor. Um, they're not that enthusiastic as he is. Uh, he seems to just buy no matter what. Most people are going to wait a long time before they buy and invest into it, never mind invest into the technology for climate purposes. And on top of that, when we talk about ESG, which is a hot, hot topic at the moment, um, would I want to invest in this technology to try to reduce my uh, emissions, for example, or to try to push my renewable energy move? Maybe not, because you have to remember, again, looking at it from a risk perspective, it's not just about the financials and it's not just about the end result. It's about reputation. As long as there is this perception, never mind a CEO or a company, a company might be pro-Bitcoin, but if there is a perception with their clients, stakeholders, 
government regulators if there is a perception that this is negative do you really want to go down that route push those boundaries because you have especially uh you know the boards a responsibility to shareholders do you want to put that at risk and you can't because you know as a board member you have responsibilities you know there's situations where you can get sued lose everything because you've made certain decisions um so that that's that's where i i see um you know i try to sit on the fence a little bit look at the positives and negatives and at the moment i'm very positive that it can be used uh how sustainable is it well it's early days you know what what's the going to price going to be next year when is it is it going to be profitable for people are we going to put in all these mining kits and then suddenly bitcoin price falls and we're losing money and then interests in bitcoin sort of dips and then it's just forgotten about or is it going to take off or is there a new technology going to come in what happens if a new bitcoin comes in and that gets popular uh, it's it's a bit like the the vhs uh, uh, example, you know, two technologies, which one's going to take it or HD DVD versus, uh, Blu-ray. Well, I backed, uh, HD DVD, um, and that didn't take off and I'm stuck with about 30 or 40 HD DVDs that I couldn't use for a good while until I got a universal disc player. But anyway, the point is the perception, uh, plays a big part, but I'm very positive. I, I, I think it's a good solution that's worth investigating further for sure and yeah. there's companies uh, that's highlighted like acker solutions in norway um they're heavily invested in terms of uh, looking at technologies to enable this kind of thing and again i think this is this was one of the reasons why we also wanted to write about it you know you we are some of your listeners may may have watched the senate hearings in the us right and um that you know the, the the position paper that they wrote about it, and it, it was kind of middle of the road, but there there were definitely some um, comments made about Bitcoin and energy consumption that were just not accurate, right? So I do think I do think um, the narrative is changing, and with every example that we see, and since writing this paper, there've been more right um, more announcements have come out. And not just in the US or in Europe, it's across different geographies. That conversation is going to change. I'm personally convinced um, that we will see more integration between energy companies and Bitcoin miners. It just, to me, makes makes complete sense, right? When the penny drops, the penny is going to drop. Um, is it risk-free? Absolutely not. And I think Alex is 100% right, right? There's, in the world of risk, there are no 100% certainties, right? We live in the world of probability, um, so I, I would say I'm, 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 I think the, the odds are with Bitcoin at this at this time. It's been around for a long time. It's it's it, to some extent proven it's uh, it's, um, it's you know that it's roadworthy if I can put it that way. Um, you know, so all of these count in its favor, um, but but there are no certain there are no hundred percent certainties. There, there's always risk attached with everything. And that's what I like is like having that um, that balanced view and seeing both sides of both sides of it um, because you can being in Bitcoin you can just be focused all on the opportunities and just ignore all of the risks.
Um, yeah, I think I think you make a good point actually. As Bitcoiners, um, and not just Bitcoiners, anyone that's passionate about uh, something, you go straight into all the amazing positives and you oversell or you get too technical or it just, to the person listening, it feels like a sales pitch or a scam or something. If you can come a bit more balanced, not only does it help you and, and the technology itself, because you can see where are the weaknesses, how can we improve that? But you can also see, okay, maybe I have to approach it a little bit differently. Because perception is everything. Perception is everything. We just need to look at all the debates that go on globally on Twitter, on in the media. Every time, uh, you'll have a scientist come on and say something, um, and then you'll have someone that's quite excitable and he's good on camera and doesn't know anything about the topic. But people will resonate and think, "Oh, this guy, this guy's good," and they'll listen to him. So it's how you how you deliver it as well. Yeah, I think we make the point in in the paper, and you know, I think we stand by this, right? There are no perfect solutions, right? In the context of the energy industry, right? You know, people try to sell sometimes try to sell wind and solar as the so solution to everything. There are no perfect solutions. There are only, there are only uh, trade-offs, right? And what's good in one jurisdiction and one area will not necessarily work in another, right? So what, what do we need to do? We need to consider what are our options and what are the risks, what are the um, opportunities associated with each option? And for my situation, pick the best one, right? And that can change over time too. So, you know, it's a, it's a well, I guess risk managers will always be employed because of that, but, but that's the reality, right? Management of risk never stops. And that's, that's an example there where we talk about Hawaii in the paper. They can't use solar or wind because they don't have enough uh, land uh, to do so, or, or the land that's there is, is just not suitable. Um, and so you have to look at other options, and they have. They've been har harnessing volcanoes until it erupted and the lava caused damage, and then it was shut down for six to nine months or maybe even longer, if I, if I remember correctly. Um, and so you need to look for the different technologies, and, and it's not a one-size-fits-all. One Perfect. And um, yeah, ideal. And that's where, um, well, we'll wrap up that bit. And I just want to say to everyone listening that um, you can now put your put your comments in and uh, we'll go through some of some of the questions that people have got because people have been firing them in. I'm not sure if we'll, I'm looking on LinkedIn as well, because we've got, um, we've got 35 people watching there. And so hopefully we'll be able to get through quite a few of them. Uh, so the first one is, I can put this on screen. I'm quite excited about using this new platform. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so what has been the response to the report and which groups have shown interest so far? Well, I'll go first. Firstly, just to say when, when Alex and I wrote this, we didn't think it would really get very far. Um, you know, it was probably my best case for me was we letting a few more risk managers know about, you know, this technology, <laughs> pardon me, and the, um, you know, the benefits that it could offer and opportunities. It got a lot more reach than we thought we would get, right? So we've been talking to people such as yourself. Um, a week ago, I wasn't going to Bitcoin Amsterdam. I'm going to, I'm going to Bitcoin Amsterdam now, you know. Um, we've been in touch with people in the US. 
And, and I think another concern was that we were going to get quite a mixed response, like some positive, some negative. I would say it's been overwhelmingly positive. And, and I think both Alex and I were quite surprised by that. Alex, I don't know yeah. if you want to add. Yeah, I, I haven't seen anything negative other than people who haven't read the report. They'll post one word, greenwashing, or one word, um, something else that, that is clear that they have. Oh, yeah, all theory. Well, no, if you actually read it, you'll see that that's exactly what it isn't. So um, that is the, the big surprise uh, for us, is the, the, the positive and the lack of negative. Um, so, yeah, um, I would have liked to have seen more. So whenever I've written articles before um, for uh, the Institute of Risk Management, it's often been picked up by mainstream media or the larger, or you know, like Financial Times. Or uh, unfortunately, that hasn't happened yet. But as we know, there still is that sort of uh, one-sided view, and hopefully that changes. Changes, and maybe they will refer back to this at some point in the future. I, again, I'm not suggesting that um, it should all be positive, but maybe a bit more balanced rather than the the, the one view. And, and I think also just to say, you know, um, we do stand on the shoulders of giants. A lot of our research came out of Bitcoin Magazine articles. I mean, got to give Arcane Research a lot of credit, right? Um, you know, the, the, they were the, their research report. I think was issued last year. was a was a big inspiration for us to write ours. So, um, you know, I just just have to say that as well. We 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 try to make a good job of referencing, um, you know. All the, all the sections of the report to give also credit to the people that have done some of the some of the research that we collated. Perfect. And let's see if I can figure out. Nice. Cool. Um, so what are the main barriers to adoption of Bitcoin mining in the energy or waste sectors in the UK? So you don't have to make it specific to the UK. Um, I'm guessing if that's not your expertise and which countries are in the best position right now to benefit from mining to support energy and waste sectors? So I'll, I'll just I'll just comment uh, first. Um, back in 2017, uh, when I was getting into uh, cryptocurrencies and, and, and Bitcoin and so forth, and the technology behind it and blockchain, and um, I wrote a few articles, and a lot of people took it as negative. It wasn't. It was a solution. And that was the lack of regulation. I was calling for regulation. People don't like that. People don't like to hear about regulation. For me, and I even wrote actually one article about how countries who are able to take advantage of blockchain or cryptocurrencies or whatever are those who are implementing regulation. Um, there's two aspects to this. Number one, regulation provides a framework that protects people, but also um, allows companies to know what they're entering into. If you don't have regulation, how do you know this won't be banned tomorrow? If there's regulation, you know, well, there's regulation. It might be harsh regulation, but at least it's regulation and there's a framework in place you can work with. So actually having, uh, you know, um, heavy regulation is better than having no regulation because Otherwise, it's a huge uncertainty. But that's not what I was calling for. I was calling for positive regulation. Um, and that's what I think 
is the, the, the main barrier to adoption uh, for Bitcoin mining as well in many countries is this lack of regulations that A, make it legal or B, allow uh, some sort of tax framework um, or something along those lines that give comfort to organizations that want to invest in, because remember, you're investing, you're investing money into a technology. You need to be certain that it's not going to get banned tomorrow or you know, whatever. If there's regulation, it gives some sort of certainty. So for me, it's regulation is one aspect. The other is, as I mentioned before, is this the narrative, the perception from your stakeholders, the public, your clients, your uh, other customers, uh, sorry, the other uh, uh, companies you might be working with. The board needs to feel comfortable that their shareholders aren't going to be, uh, you know, extremely unhappy, that you're not falling foul of the law, hence regulation again. So those are the two aspects that I really uh, look at. Yeah, I mean, I, I won't say much more than that. I, 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 I agree with what Alex has said. Um, I mean, I'm not a big fan of regulation. Uh, I think the UK is one of the most regulated societies out there. But having nothing will curtail companies from investing, right? And for the reasons that Alex, Alex mentioned, right? So a little bit of regulatory certainty on the treatment of Bitcoin instead of the mixed messages, I mean, you know, and utterances from the Reserve Bank or Central Bank of, of England, um, you know, to the negative makes people uncomfortable to invest. So I would say that is a barrier. But also, I, I think there's there's definitely a lack of awareness of what, what it's all about, right? And what opportunities there are. I think, you know, for people to invest, they need to see an opportunity, right? And then they can start worrying about regulation. If they're not even seeing the opportunity, then they're not going to make the investment. So um, I do think that that, that is a um, that is potentially a, a an area that would need to be addressed. It's just more and more people just need to be aware and talk about it. You're on mute. I'm on mute. Yeah, I literally noticed the same time. <laughs> um, this was maybe a little bit more technical. I don't know if you've got an answer to this one um but i just had to google otec um so ocean thermal energy conversion i think um yeah. perfect are so i'm going to read it out for anyone that's listening through audio um are there any other fundamental engineering factors that limits its commercial potential to the point where it's simply not a viable option e.g with deep thermal uh, with deep geothermal where the need to limit corrosion in the system requires significant volumes of fresh water to be used to limit corrosion within the system which isn't always available you, I'm, I'm assuming that's a problem with deep geothermal right um so uh, otec works slightly differently i would say and this is you know purely from from the article um and i I've heard Nathaniel Harmon talk on a few podcasts as well. Um, the big problem is they just never built a commercial scale plant, right? So if, and this is this is true for all new engineering developments, right? It's very difficult to get investment if you've only had, if you've only got a proven pilot scale um, plant as your as your reference point. So so the, the big the big barrier there is we need to build our first 
and prove that it can be be, be built and run successfully, um, which is our first commercial scale uh, facility for OTEC. Yeah, uh, apparently, uh, if we look at uh, the fact that it was uh, there was a working model built 100 years ago, um, the technology is basically plumbing, apparently. Uh, it's, it's not overly complex. Um, it is just as Dylan said, how much energy can you could produce with it. You need to start with a smaller plant to show its viability, build a larger one, and then a larger one. That costs money, which is why um, the, the, we highlight in the publication that having Bitcoin attached to this might be a way to ease cash flows during that process. Um, and it can actually improve efficiency of the system because you can use the natural heat from the Bitcoin mining to further heat the uh, you know the process. But additionally, the other 100 years ago when they built the working model, it was destroyed you know, a few days later by a hurricane. So that's the other problem is hurricanes. However, um, if you build it on uh, floating um, on floating sort of rigs that can be moved, or ships or rigs that can be moved out closer to the equator, you don't get hurricanes there. There is very limited storms there because you've got the, the equator basically. And so, you know, you've got both the north and the south. The, 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 the climate is such that you're not going to get a lot of storm there, which means it's safe. And that's also where you've got the deep sea mining where there's much less uh, um, you know, fish and so forth. And that's where you've got the little mining nodules, the, the, the battery nodules that you can mine and, and use for batteries and so forth. So it's simply that it's a new technology that we haven't been able to, uh, to uh, make viable yet. But with Bitcoin mining, there is the potential that someone needs to try it out and someone is. So that's supposed just, to just, just to also add, right, um, in terms of offshore development, we've got, when I say we, I'm talking about our civilization, humanity, right? We've got an incredible amount of experience um, working in, in maritime environments, right? And, and, and a lot of that is um, developed through um, things like development of the North Sea, right? It's where we build these massive um, floating and fixed uh, offshore platforms with integrated subsea infrastructure, connected pipelines. So there's, a, there's an incredible amount of knowledge on how to successfully build and maintain offshore installations thanks to the oil and gas industry. Yeah, and compare that to 100 years ago when someone who was trying something out uh, built this thing versus if you have a company that has backing with experts in uh, in, in, in engineering and design and safety and all of those aspects that the, the oil and gas industry has really, uh, has really uh, helped to develop, unfortunately because of bad things happening. Um, but uh, I think it just means that it's, uh, we're in a better position today if we wanted to build something around OTEC. Nice, I'm learning quite a lot on here, which is uh, exactly what I wanted. Uh, so I think that's us out of questions on this platform. I've had a look on a few others, um, but I do have one more just to wrap it up. Um, so where do you see the most significant opportunity out of all seven um, for Bitcoin mining in the next five to 10 years? What do you think is going to be developed the most out of your research? 
It's a, it's a tough question. Um... <laughs> Alex, you want to go first? Okay. Um, I don't like to make predictions. However, what I would say is looking at it logically, uh, the technologies that are current, the technologies that we're already using, um, will probably be the ones that, that move first. So the, the wind, the solar, um, and um, using mining to reduce emissions, for example, um, because we've, we're already doing this. So it's easier to test on that. All it is is to move a mining rig in. Did that work? Oof, we made some money there. Well, I think I can deal with this. Um, there are also the, the areas where the small players are going to come in, and they're already doing it. You come in with one mining unit. You make a deal with the with the solar farm. You go in, it works. Solar farm starts thinking, hmm, I'll get another one, I'll get another one. Okay, actually, I'm going to invest in it myself. Um, that's where I think you're going to see a lot of traction, where small individual companies or small individual uh, you know, uh, groups are going to drive it with existing technology, or where one company just tries it out because what have we got to lose? It's, it's worth trying. I think that, that that's my my view, but again, I don't make predictions, so don't uh, <laughs> do your own research, not financial <laughs> advice, etc. Um, I think similar to Alex, I, it's it's hard for me to see that there's going to be any particular front runner. I think what is what was quite clear for me doing the the, the case studies that we we've done is that you know. It, it's, it's region specific, right? El Salvador is building volcano mines, right? Because they've got volcano resources and they've recognized an opportunity. Oman has recently announced that, you know, they're linking a, a Bitcoin mining uh, facility to, to the uh, oil and gas fields, right? To, to take advantage of excess uh, or standard gas that they may have, right? Um, in, in the UK and, and, and maybe certainly in, in, in the US, right, because of subsidies and the way they've set themselves up with renewable wind and solar, it just makes sense to, 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 to leverage and take advantage of that. I think what I would be very excited about is if we see an OTEC, uh, um, a, a commercial scale OTEC uh, facility come to fruition and it works, I think that could have amazing repercussions in the medium term. Uh, simply because it's you know it's not as Alex indicated a very complicated technology to to build. So this is not a prediction. This is more a hope, um, and and also something that we touched on. Something that I think I'm a little bit passionate about is the development of small modular nuclear reactors. Right. I think the potential that they can have for um, you know remote societies or societies that don't have well developed grids um, can be immense and incredible. So. I think what we're just going to see is a lot more of it. It's going to be across the energy sector. Um, and yeah, uh, as I think we point to in the in the article, if, if you can imagine that continuing over time, maybe maybe we get to Kardashev type one uh, civilization, you know, within a generation or two. And again, this only works if Bitcoin works. If Bitcoin doesn't work, well, obviously, this won't continue. So Bitcoin has to work, and there's a lot of risks there with regards to government's uh, view on Bitcoin. Some are being pro-Bitcoin, others are being a bit more negative about it. Um, it's still, I think, uh, early, so we need that caveat. 
um, that this is all relying on where Bitcoin goes from here, how people are educated about it, how governments uh, decide to treat it. Um, but as and, and many, you know, most Bitcoiners will say you can't stop Bitcoin and so forth. I think through history we can see anything to be stopped, no matter how big, no matter how big a civilization is, they tend to to to, to fall. Uh, so I think we just need to be aware of the risks, and it's a two-pronged approach. It's dealing with Bitcoin, but it's also dealing with the technologies that we can use and take advantage of the technology. So we just need to be wary of uh, all aspects. Nice, and that's a a nice way to finish off. Um, and I just want to say thank you both for coming on, and everyone that's listening live and after. I would highly recommend reading this if you haven't, because I've already started sharing it around. It's become so. I use um, Bitcoin first. Uh, have you heard of that by Fidelity? I use that to teach people about why Bitcoin over crypto. And now this has kind of become my default um, when it comes to an environmental uh, arguments. So I want to yeah, thank you both for writing it and coming on. And uh, if there's any, is there anything you want to say before we, we wrap up and finish? Um, we, you may want to give us a, a look on LinkedIn. Uh, the IRM Renewables and uh, Energy and Renewable Special Interest Group. We we do hold um, what we call energy risk clinics once a quarter. If you've got any interesting energy discussions, um, I invite you to to give us a follow on LinkedIn, and you know we'll advertise when we have these. You're more than welcome to join. Yeah, and also a thank you to I think the Institute of Risk Management for enabling us to put this out there in the first place. Um, extremely supportive did not edit anything, just uh, you know, gave us so much freedom to put our thoughts into this, research into it, and, and put, you know, put what I consider a great publication out there, so. Thank you. Thank you both. And um, thank you to the Institute of Risk Management as well from the Bitcoin Collective. Uh, so that wraps up our uh, first live online event. We will be asking everyone who's watching it for feedback so that we can improve for next time. So look out on our socials and your emails. And it's just a short four question um, survey. But yeah, that wraps it up. And uh, thank you guys for coming on. Thank you.